as early as, as what I am. Uh, another Andrew also came a few weeks ago and spent some time with you. And, uh, oh, okay, let me start again. Welcome to King's Church Eastbourne this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be with you and, of course, uh, as soon as I had a call and found out what was going on, I just wanted to be with you and uh, our church is in the love and the greetings with you today. How do we handle times like this? It's kind of confusing. Sometimes we'll go searching out for answers. Sometimes we will get them. Sometimes we'll never know. And one day, we may never need to know. But it's at times like this, we lean in, into faith, and we lean into Jesus. But how do we pull these together? Because uh, the leaders here, as I would be saying, look, this is also actually a day of celebration. And uh, we're going to be witnessing something in half an hour's time of some people are going to be climbing into the hot tub in the corner and uh, are going to be making some amazing statements. And actually, it was the absolutely right decision to continue with the baptisms today because it could have just been, ended up in, you know, looking at the sadness of what has happened this week without actually looking forward in terms of the hope and the future that we have in Christ Jesus. The sad event and the joyful event are actually both very closely tied together. If you've got your Bibles very quickly into Romans chapter 6, just something I was thinking of a little earlier. We'll be heading into Ephesians very shortly, but Romans chapter 6, Paul says this in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. As we come into the baptism into, as I was saying, about half an hour's time, in effect, it's this great drama that is being played out. It's magnificent, magnificent symbolism. In effect, it is a burial that is taking place. It's the end of a life. And as you come out of the water, hopefully whoever's in there will bring people up out of the water. I hope. And as people come up out of the water, it is this amazing picture of the hope of the resurrection of new life. So actually the two events that are happening, even today, are very closely linked. Both speak of an end of a life, but both speak of a brand new beginning into a new life. Now jump with me into Ephesians chapter 1. Incredibly familiar passages to many people. This is uh, Paul's opening statement to this letter. I'll pick it up, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, 
He predestined us, predetermined, chose us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I returned from holiday a few weeks ago I went in online to check my bank balance just to see how much we'd managed to spend while we were away and I was very pleasantly surprised to find that from a balance that usually has a few pounds in somehow the balance was now standing at over (laughs) £51,000 as it turned out I thought that's nice but it wasn't mine. (laughs) I've got to be careful what I preach sometimes. Recently in Eastbourne I've been preaching about how much I enjoy Pringle crisps and six packets arrived through the post. I then spoke about how much I enjoy cakes and a tin of cakes appeared on my doorstep. So I've got to be careful that when I talk about mysterious deposits of £51,000 in my bank account... (laughs) please don't feel under any obligation, (laughs) especially if you are a visitor here today. (laughs) Cash is fine. (laughs) Financial security, that would be nice. How much do I need? Just a little bit more than what I've got. I'll be alright once I've got enough. A relationship, that's what I need. Someone to have fun with, good sense of humour. Someone dependable, reliable, someone to be with, that's all I want. A good, solid job, career, solid, secure, future-proof, with a pension. Satisfying. You come home at the end of the day knowing that you've done a good day's work. Ah. A good school, that's what you need. Education, that's what my kids need. A good start in life. That's what they need. It will set them up. A safe place. No crime, no threat, no fear, no trouble. (laughs) Good government, democracy, honesty, integrity, morality. Bupa. It's good to know they're there in case you need them. L'Oreal. Because I'm worth it. Ron Seal. 
It does exactly what it says on the tin. (laughs) Question. What happens when the banks collapse and recession hits? And the relationship that was to last forever ends. And the redundancy check, well, it will cover three months. And the teacher could do better. And the crime shatters peace. And the NP lands in prison. And the doctors can't do any more for you. And the anti-wrinkle cream gives up on you as a lost cause. (laughs) And your fence needs painting again. And they promised five years. (laughs) Guess what? We're living in a very uncertain, unpredictable world. Who would have predicted events? Where in this ever-changing world can we find security? Where do we find assurance? Where do we find certainty and confidence? Is it possible or is it just a dream that is being chased? Paul said this. In Ephesians 1, 11, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained, already obtained, an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We have already received an inheritance. And you might say, how did you come by that? How was that deposited into your account? And is it mine? Is it mine to keep? Will it ever get taken back, taken away? It was according to his purposes. In the days that we used to receive posts to the door, there was one that would come through and on the envelope it would say this from the Reader's Digest. Congratulations, you've already been pre-selected for a cash prize. And I thought, how? Why me? How come I have deserved this cash prize from Reader's Digest? Because the closest I've ever been to Reader's Digest was a dentist's waiting room in 1975. But the powers to be at Reader's Digest have looked upon me worthy to be the recipient of an already pre-selected cash prize courtesy of the Reader's Digest. They have determined, they have predestined me to have their cash prize. Thank you very much. (laughs) God's will, his intention, his master plan, his blueprint before all of time included you, included me to be the inheritors. Into my bankrupt life, Not only has Jesus cancelled out my debt of sin, but through his generosity from my negative account, not only has he zeroed it out, but he has added into it a huge inheritance. Why? Verse 12, for his praise and his glory. It's about his plan, which ultimately leads to his glory. All along he has had plans for our lives. I am in the plan of God. He knows when it was to begin. He knows when it is to end. But there's no mistake about it. I have a friend who was an 11 year old. His mum turned to him and said, Grantley, because that is his name. Named after a town in North Yorkshire. 
Brantley, you were a mistake. Which isn't the most reassuring thing to hear as an 11-year-old. Sometimes parents might say, well, you were a surprise. A very pleasant surprise. But they said to him, you were a mistake. But in God's planning, there are no mistakes. In his purposes, there are no surprises. We're all legitimate. We're all legitimately a part of his family. Even if that has come as a surprise to one or two of us as we look around the room today. Let's look at his planning. When Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, God announced a plan. One day, through a seed, through through a descendant, will be one born who will crush the enemy. An offspring will be born who will destroy the one who has caused all of this. And when mankind was to be destroyed by a flood, he had a plan and chose Noah and his family and put them safely into the ark. And when he wanted a people, he called a man, a pagan idol worshipper worshipper from Iraq to form a nation. And through this nation, all nations would be blessed one day through a descendant of yours, Abraham. And when all the tribes were held in captivity in slavery, he delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And when they were taken down into exile into Babylon, his plan was to rescue a remnant out. The Old Testament, if you get a hold of it, is just filled with stories of of promise and stories of redemption. And then Jesus entered the world. This is what Paul said in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, when God's promises were about to be fulfilled, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem promises and redemption. Those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adopted into the family, heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ. His plan was being worked out through life and death of Jesus. He fulfilled the promises to crush Satan's head. He fulfilled the promise that all nations one day will be blessed through you. And he redeemed mankind from captivity of slavery from sin. But Jesus' plan, God's plan, did not end there. His plan has now been extended to us. We were dead to him. He woke us up. He introduced us to Jesus. He convicted us of sin. He regenerated us. He's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit is now living in us. He's the one who will one day unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. From the beginning to the end, God is working out his schemes and his purposes, his will, his plan, his glory. And then we hit verse 13. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In verse 12, just look at how the language changes. In verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We've gone from we to you to our the we refers to the Jewish believers. Up to that point, they'd been the people who'd been inheritors of the promise. They'd been living under one day, one day we're going to inherit the promise. The promise that had run through Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. The you is referring to those who were not the children of the promise. 
The you is referring to the Gentiles, those who were non-Jews, aliens, outside of the promises of God. And Paul is now saying, you in Ephesus, you who were once outside, you have now also been included in. Even though you had no knowledge and no understanding and no background, you have now been included in on this. Why? Why is this so important? Because God clearly is the one who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He's good for his word. In a world that is uncertain and very unpredictable, God is constant and God is true for what he promises, he delivers. What it says on the tin, he does. The Ephesians didn't grow up with these promises, but now they find that they've inherited the lot. The last time I came over to Hastings, I brought my son with me. This time my daughter said, can I come with you? And I'm so pleased that Beth has come with me. Do you know what I said? On the way back, we're going to go out for a meal together. So she's come, believing in the promise that I'm going to take her out on the meal. (laughs) It's true, I am. What she didn't know was that I was going to invite all of you as well. (laughs) You see, she's someone who has inherited the promise. She's living, in waiting for the day, for that promise to be fulfilled. My dad will take me out, he has said, and he's a good dad, the best dad. You lot had no idea. And now I'm taking you off to Toby Carvey for slap-up lunch. All of you, you're all in. I promise. You're now in on the promise. Now translate that into the situation. Here were the Ephesians. Here were the Jews. The Jews have been waiting for the promise. The promise what? The promise of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel. One day I will pour out my spirit on all people. John the Baptist said this, I will baptise in water, but one day... Uh, one who will follow, who will baptise you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Jesus, after his resurrection, spoke to his disciples, his followers, and said to them, go away in Jerusalem, what for? For the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They've been waiting for the promise. Week in, week out. Is this the week that the Holy Spirit is going to come? Is this the week? Is this the week? They've been waiting for the promise. Is this the week my dad takes me out for a meal? They've been waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. But when we jump on in the book of Acts, In chapter 10, a very unusual thing happens. Peter is taken from where he was, led by God to go and speak to a Gentile house. And while he was preaching to these people who were outside of the promises of God, suddenly what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're filled just like the Jews. Peter is very surprised. It causes quite an argument later on. But his Holy Spirit came upon all believers. And suddenly those who had no idea they were in the promise were now recipients of the promise. Because God had always promised them. Peter, so surprised. But when we get to Acts chapter 19, and Paul arrives in Ephesus, and he asks them the same question. Have you been filled? Have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? We don't even know of the Holy Spirit. You prayed for them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Why is this important? Because God says, he does what he says. What is true for the Jews is also true for the Gentiles. What was true for the Ephesians is also true for us. We have been included in on the promise. This is what Paul said, Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. We've been given, the promise says, 
an eternal inheritance. And God is good for his promise. So we find that in verse 13, 14, Holy Spirit has now been given to us to all believers irrespective of the background, irrespective of whether we've known, irrespective of history or anything. The promise has come to all people who believe. But we read in this following verse that the Holy Spirit is now at work in us in two ways. He is acting as a seal and acting as a guarantee. What is a seal? In this context, what is a seal? Well, a seal is used to either lock, it acts as a lock. It seals an entrance to stop anything coming in or anything going out. So, the lock, uh, so a seal could be referred to as a lock. The seal could also be referred to as a sign of authenticity. If you were back in the posh days, you wanted to send out a letter to someone and the king wanted to send out a decree, he would wax across uh, the, the parchment and would put his seal within it, which demonstrated authenticity. But the seal is also something that marks of ownership, like the branding of a cow or a sheep. Putting a mark of ownership, a sign of authenticity, or to lock something in. Which was Paul meaning? Well, whichever Paul was meaning, the Holy Spirit acts in all three ways. If the Spirit is locking something in, the point must be that he seals faith in and seals unbelief out. If the Spirit is a sign of authenticity, then our eternal sonship in Christ is real and authentic. He is the sign of God's reality in our life. It's a sign of God's approval over us. But if the Spirit brands us with his seal, we know that we are his and no one can ever claim possession. Whichever view we take, whichever one of the three, or perhaps all three, the message is one of safety, the message is one of security in God's love and in his power. God sends his Holy Spirit as a persevering, preserving seal to lock us in, authenticating seal to validate sonship, protecting seal of ownership so that no one can take us away. God is wanting us to feel safe and secure in him. And actually that is the point of this passage. This magnificent uh, doctrine upon doctrine, key Christian belief upon key Christian belief, how we've been chosen in him, how we've been adopted into his family, how we've been redeemed through his grace and now caught up in his purposes. He concludes this amazing passage with this incredible promise that we who are in Christ Jesus have confidence and certainty of our eternal inheritance that can never get taken away from us. Ever. And you go, no, never? It can never get taken away. There's a lady in Eastbourne, as I was preaching on this passage recently, and she said, for the first, I've been a Christian like for about a hundred years. She's like, slight exaggeration, but she's been living, going, and she came to me at the end and she said, for the first time ever, I dare to believe that I can never lose my salvation. So many people who are living in the fear of actually, yeah, I've been saved through Jesus, but if I don't live out my life right now, then everything I've gained in Christ will just get robbed, ripped away, taken away from me. What was put into my account, someone will turn around and say, ha, it doesn't actually belong to you, and back into zero again. If you've got your Bible, jump, jump to Romans chapter 8. Let, let, let's have a detour. Ooh, verse 28. Okay, let me, in case some of you need convincing. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. All things. Even events 
of the last few days, all things work together for good if you call to his purposes. For those who are called according to his purposes, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, pre-chose, pre-selected, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So if you've been called by God, if you've been caught up in his purposes, then you have been justified. Justified is his posh Bible word, which really means legally declared not guilty. Sitting on jury service, at the end of the week, we had to decide was someone guilty or not guilty. Even though we know the bloke was guilty, and he was found guilty in the end of it, imagine that we said, we know you're guilty, but there is no consequences to your guilt. That is exactly what has happened, because another has already paid the penalty. The penalty of sin has been removed from us, placed onto Jesus, and so that we cannot be tried and cannot receive the penalty of the consequences of the sin in our life. If we have been justified by him, then how does that sentence end? If we've been justified, we will also be glorified. There is nothing in the middle. There is nothing missed out in the Greek or in the English or anything else that puts in there that just says, okay, you've been justified by Jesus. Now you've got to work it out. Now you've got to live right. Now you've got to behave right. Now you've got to help every old lady across the street at the right time. You've got to do it. And if you don't, then you will lose your justification and therefore lose your glorification. It doesn't say that. And Paul goes on to this. When shall we say, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, he says? Who? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, the one who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is now interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as he is written, no. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors for those who loved us. For I am sure, I am certain, I am confident, I am absolutely committed to this, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. Even our own stupidity at times will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate. People say, but, but, but what about all those other passages that talk about working out your salvation and living fear and trembling of your salvation? Look, that's talking about the effects of power of sin over your life. That's talking about the power, power of sin. It's not talking about the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin has been dealt with in Jesus. So the consequences of that, so you'll no longer one day stand in the presence of sin, because you'll be with Jesus, glorified. Paul is wanting to reassure us. He wants to assure us that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. If we have become adopted children of God, he has not prepared to foster us and give us back when we misbehave. He has adopted us into the family of God. Forever. And now, we have become the co-heirs with Christ. 
The Holy Spirit acts as a guarantee. One seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin. What if it doesn't? Well, this is my advice. If your fence panel looks a bit worn after only four years, rip it down, drive to Sheffield, go up to the marketing man, man called James Smith, and say, there you go, it doesn't. Proof. But Ron Steele is so convinced that they say they'll back it up with a guarantee. In the same way, Paul is saying this, how do you know this to be true? How, how can you be so confident in this? Holy Spirit acts as a guarantee, backs up the claims of God. Acts as a promise of all that God says. By receiving the Spirit, we can be confident in what God has said. But being a guarantee is more than that. See, a guarantee also acts as a down payment to deposit. If you really like a house, then you go, tell you what, I've got 10% now, the rest is coming. You are willing to put something down on something in order to secure it for a future purchase. What you have now is a foretaste, a little bit of something, but the day will come when you will have all of it, the whole 100%. The Holy Spirit not just acts as, as, as a backing up of God's claim, he's also acting as a down payment, enough to convince us that by receiving the Holy Spirit, that one day God is going to give us the whole lot, not just a fraction. Everything. He said this in Corinthians, and he's God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What is God saying? This is what God is saying to us this morning here at King's Hastings. That you will have everything. For some, in recent days, they've taken possession of it. But if you are in Christ this morning, then you have a taste of it. A down payment. But the day will come when you will inherit the lot. Joy, peace, Forgiveness, freedom, life, all of it. The joy we have in a few minutes' time, we're going to have people jumping into this pool and they're saying, do you know what? My old life is now dead and buried and I'm coming up out of this water, guess what? Into the guaranteed future eternal life that I now have in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? God's word. He has promised it. And what God says, he does. It has his name written on it. Written all across it. And what he says on the tip, he does. A joy. An amazing position. Someone said recently, we have a member of our church in Eastbourne who is going through such, such difficult situations with her health. And someone said to her husband recently, he said, how can you have a faith when things like this happen? And his reply was, <laughs> it's because I have a faith. I can get through things like this when it happens. So our confidence and our hope in a world that is uncertain is resting on a place that is solid and guaranteed. There's no need for us to fear, dear church. His perfect love has dispersed, dispelled that fear. And today, we can stand strong and secure. So as we lead in to seeing these people give their stories, remember, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of the promises of God being worked out in the person of Jesus, which one day 
guarantees a future inheritance which has been deposited upon us now by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, acting not only as a seal, but as a guarantee. Can we stand together? Perhaps the guys can be getting ready if the worship band are coming in on this one. Thank you, Lord. We're standing here today. Oh, what a great place it is. Even in an uncertain and rocky world, we have found something of such hope and security and steadfastness that there is nothing, 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 nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God because we are now found in Christ Jesus. We thank you for our eternal position. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who is fearful, anyone who is scared, anyone who is uncertain. In fact, anyone who is facing uncertainty at this time in health or finances or family life or wherever, that actually there be something of the hope of Jesus will be deposited by your Holy Spirit into our life today to say that one day it will all get sorted. One day we will become the full inheritors of all the promises of God. So we thank you, Jesus. Amen.